Chapter 9 Bears Ford Vaslo fell asleep on the boulder that night. When he returned the next morning, Cory was there, awake, with tea made and some eggs cooked over a fire. To the duelist's surprise, he also had a wooden sword with him, and there was the smell of freshly cut cedar and the sap of the tree catching the late morning heat. Cory looked tired, but was smiling all the same. When you didn't come back, I went looking for you, found you asleep, with your ironwood sword broken on the ground beside you, he explained, and shyly held out the cedarwood weapon he had carved. I figure you've been carrying around two swords for forty years. It would be strange to quit now, even if you don't intend to duel anymore. Vaslo didn't know what to say. He was embarrassed, and took the cedarwood sword in his hand, turning it over. Cory had cut some leather wrapping meant for protecting some of the bottles of spirits in the wagon, and with some catgut, used it to create a grip for the handle. The wood was a dozen shades of red, with a few darker lines running through it. Heavier than it looks, the duelist managed to say, though he couldn't bring himself to look Cory in the eyes. I sweat most of the sap out during the night, and roasted it over the fire, but some of it solidified in the wood. It might not be as strong as ironwood, after all it is called ironwood for a reason, but cedar is hearty in its own right. Cedar sap is strong too, we use it for securing joints in furniture, in Solma. Becomes hard as stone. Almost, Cory explained. Cory, I... Vaslo tried, but the motion stopped him there. You don't need to explain anything to me, Vaslo, Cory said tenderly. I get the gist of it, I think. The master duelist nodded, and then slowly, thoughtfully, secured the cedarwood sword to his belt. He knew that to have carved it in a night, Cory must have not slept at all. After a moment, he looked up at his traveling companion. No one has ever done something like that for me. Cory gave him a warm smile, and then laughed. Don't dwell on it. Can't have the famous Vaslo Stepman, THE Vaslo Stepman, getting all soft in his old age. Vaslo sat down on the dried brown grass, in the shade of the cedar tree. I think I told you. Maybe I didn't. My master was a man named Savanud. You've mentioned him, Cory said. He had a saying. Well, he had lots of sayings. But one of them was, Grief is just anger dressed up as sadness. Seems he was right. I'd say he was, Corey agreed. Breaking ironwood is hard to do. I carved it from a piece of wood that made up the back of a chair we had in our house, he said. Sentimental value, then. I'm sorry it broke. The duelist nodded slowly. It's funny. I never thought of myself as sentimental, but I am. Deeply so. That ironwood weapon was made from the chair I used to bludgeon my father after death. The boss on my buckler is from my master's shield. Dreamender was my father's sword. Even these boots. He laughed a little as he clicked them together. A gift from the only woman I reckon I ever loved. Or at least, the only one who ever loved me. Cory took in that information quietly, then asked... Want your eggs? Yes, and, uh, thank you. Father stammered. Cory shuffled the cooked eggs off onto a wooden plate, leaned forward, and passed it to the duelist. They ate quietly for a few minutes, and then, as though they had spoken some agreement on the matter, got up and began breaking down their campsite. The fine sheepskin was rolled up, the canvas tent taken down and packed, and in an hour they were back on the road. When they had gone a few more leagues, the scarce trees began to become more numerous. 
They weren't just the shrubby trees of the south anymore. Poplar, pine, and ash trees began to be seen, dotting the landscape, though still far from making up a forest. Before too long, oak trees would be seen, and the ash trees would thicken as small streams became more numerous. The stretch of the concordant known as the Southern Reach was finally behind them. I'm too young to have experienced the purge, Corey said after a while. The grating of the wheels had been almost hypnotic, and Vosla was jerked up by the sudden break in the monotony. The merchant knew by now that Vosla lost his parents during the purge, and that it was probably the cause of the former knight's rage, at least to some degree. He continued. It seems that no one who made it through that dreadful massacre did so quite in one piece. Vaslo rubbed at the grip of his new cedarwood sword. Aye, I imagine no one did, really. The purge didn't touch every life, I'll grant, but those as it did, they were changed forever by it. I worry sometimes, you know, the way things are now. The tension, like something is boiling. It reminds me of the feel in the air before the purge. Corey twisted his face sourly. Any thinking man would have to agree. Slave-makers are reappearing in force in the old slaver's jungle in southernmost Solmar. I've heard of children being sold into slavery as far north as Red Glen, even. They put them onto boats in the night and sail them down the Lapis River. Then there are the skirmishes at the border against Darkland raiders all across the southern reach. From what I've seen, these freemen riots will surely also leave plenty enough dead, either because of the rioters or because of the Crown's response. The official story, of course, is that the Concordant is stronger than ever. But I'll tell you, Vaslo, out here, on the ground, talking to the people themselves, it sure doesn't feel that way. It feels the opposite. Like the seams are coming undone. Vaslo nodded. The challenges facing the next generation were popping up everywhere. The problems of his own generation had been the Purge, the Battle of the Badlands, the Siege of Simhad, and the Great Wheat Plague that left tens of thousands to die of starvation. The way he saw it, each generation had their unique challenges. No one could write off the backs of their ancestors for long before having to prove themselves as well. The best each era could do was handle their own issues and try to provide even footing for whoever came after them. It sounds like you'll see plenty of interesting things in your time then. Vazlo said back. That all sounds interesting to you. Corey raised an eyebrow. Vazlo shrugged. You think it sounds boring? The merchant laughed a little. No, no, I suppose not. Vazlo bit into a mouthful of dried meat, ripped it off, and swallowed it down with some of Lord Braden's water. Bitter stories, like bitter foods, are best had in small bites. Let's not worry over it. They rode on. And as the sun crested past the noon sky and began its journey towards the sea somewhere in the far west, Cory and Vaslo talked about the ins and outs of dueling. He explained the different grips, using the reins that Cory was holding for sake of demonstration, how the fingers should interlock for a stronger blow with a one-handed sword, how the wrist should move when transitioning overhead to underhand, or overhead to horizontal. At one point, he climbed into the back of the wagon and secured two small rods of crude iron— part of a bundle to be sold to a smith in Ashgarden. With them, he pretended his left hand fought against his right, and demonstrated how the wrist becomes weak at certain angles. There was even a moment where Vaslo and Cory were both standing on the riding bench, balancing themselves, so that the master duelist could make a point about footwork and its relationship to where the toes are pointing. They were riding past the intersecting byway that leads to Penn Falls when, a bit ahead of them, they saw a strange type of vehicle on the side of the road. 
The tall man next to it was cursing and waving his fist at the sky. We should ask him if he needs help, Corey suggested. I'm not too sure about that, Vazlov said as the vehicle came into better view. The device was fashioned of what seemed to be strong oak, worked into thick rods, but not so thick you couldn't close a hand around one. At a glance, it looked almost like one side of a wagon. Two wooden wheels were connected by a series of these rods, and between them was some manner of special wheel with many indents and knobs carved into it. It almost reminded Vaslow of a windlass, or a winding mechanism similar to what lifted and lowered the drawbridges and gates of castles. Oh, you here to see my invention, the tall blonde man shouted out. But don't base it on this. This is just a temporary setback. The road to genius is paid with mumps. I mean bumps. Anyways, if you'll introduce yourselves. He was already more than Vaslo felt like dealing with, but Corey stopped the wagon and offered a courteous nod. I'm Corey Rush, a courser, and this is my companion, Vaslo, a duelist. A courser? The Belmaran regarded their wagon a moment. Of course, sir. After an obnoxiously loud laugh to himself, the spectacularly tall man offered a bow back. My name is Gellert Short. This is most excellent. You are from the king, then. What? Corey looked to Vazlo for an idea, but the aged duelist just rolled his eyes. No, Corey answered uncertainly. And besides, the king is in the other direction. Gallet looked surprised to hear that, and after looking over both his shoulders, pointed at the hint of a mountain far in the distance to the east. That's not the Iron Crags. Um, that's east, Corey answered. And that's not a mountain anyways. Those are the Ratani Ridges. Do you even know where you are? Vaslo asked, agitated and unable to keep quiet any longer. Are you drunk or something? Gallet took a shocked breath. Drunk? On alcohol? I never touched the stuff. No, not after yesterday. Corey took off his cap and rubbed his head. Sir, I stopped because you appeared to be distressed. Is there anything we can help you with? A ride, perhaps? We've some room on the wagon if you don't mind sitting atop some crates though I don't know if I can accommodate your... thing there. This thing is my wagon, the very best of wagons, Gallet assured them, and then slapped the wooden seat of his odd contraption. Behold the two-wheeler, a self-driven wagon with innumerable benefits. Vazlo raised an eyebrow at that. Enumerate. The tall, sunburnt man smiled widely, then, mumbling to himself in excitement, went and searched through an open crate that he had been pulling behind him on his two-wheeler. After a minute he produced a yellow cape, absurd-looking and bearing the sigil of a rooster, which he secured to his collar. He wetted two of his fingers with his lips, and used them to brush his thick moustache into a neater shape. After a dramatic pause, he said, Behold the future of travel. The two-wheeler, once popularized, will allow man to travel entirely on his own, at speeds which match the fastest runners for much longer distances and a fraction of the price of a good horse. I myself have covered over a dozen leagues in a single day. Up hills and all? Corey asked, well aware that a horse can also cover a dozen leagues in a day. Oh, yes, Galet assured him, which leads me to another of the innumerable benefits. Health, my friends. The leading archons and scarlocks of the past two centuries have nearly all established a direct connection between physical exertion and health. And believe you me... The inventor's eyes became a little distant, as though he were remembering something very, very unpleasant. It provides for plenty of physical exertion. You can't pull very much with it, Corey observed, and gestured to the crate on wheels that was attached to the vehicle. Not yet, the inventor corrected. 
This is merely a test. I believe in time, and with the funding I might acquire if you can convince the king, I will be able to create a model that carries things in tow much easier. We are not from the king, Corey repeated. Well, when you see him next, then, Galet happily chirped. Why not just ride a horse? Vazlo asked. I hate horses, but I'd pick a horse over that thing. Why not ride a pig? Why not ride a dog? By the proofs, man, do you not see how barbaric it is to hitch our butts to a beast and bark commands at it, just hoping it obeys? It smells like hay and dung, it poops, it eats endlessly, and sometimes it just dies for no reason. Gellert Short said, eyes wide in exasperation. No, the next great leap for our gem of a civilization will be in travel, my friends, when a man can travel further in a day than a horse can take him. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine your two-wheeler moving, Vaslo admitted. What? This? Oh, it's fine. They're not dead at all. If it were a horse, mind you, it'd be dead. But no, it's made of wood and some iron, silly man. Anyways, I'm willing to part with it for... Five silver shill. We're not buying it, Corey said, his voice now reflecting Vaslo's tiredness of the whole thing. Not you, the king. I'll hold the five silver shill from you all in the meantime, as a show of good faith. And I'm sure the young king will reimburse you once he sees its value. Galet said as though it was final. We're not from the king, you madman, Vaslo snarled. Obviously not. You came from that way, and the king is this way. Galet motioned behind him, this time accurately pointing in the direction of Belmar. I mean where you're going. Do you think everyone going this direction is going to meet the king? Corey asked, rubbing his forehead again. For some reason, that notion finally seemed to land on the man, and his eyes went wide. So you're not the king's men? You're not from the king? No going to him? No, by every blasted proof, that's what we've been trying to tell you, Corey said. Well, then why have you been wasting my time? Galet hurriedly took his cape off, marched to the crate, stuffed it back in while mumbling to himself, then sat on the strangely shaped seat that seemed barely large enough for his bottom. You'll never get where you're going if you stop to talk to every person along the way. Take it from me. And with that, the tall man awkwardly rolled off on his invention, furiously working his legs and making little distance for it. It wasn't broken, then, Corey mused aloud. They both quietly watched Galet go down the road for a minute, then Vosla wearily shook his head. Maybe we can agree on keeping our social engagements to polite head nods. Then we may still reach the outlying villages near Ashgarden tonight. We'll be good to sleep on a bed. Hate to admit it, but I'm still a bit sore from the duel. Yes, polite head nods, Corey agreed. And a bed. They rode on in relative quiet for a few more hours with Corey deftly navigating the various turns and twists of the byways and archways that would take them to Ashgarden quicker than the capital road. The light gradually turned a deeper colour, and the shadows of trees grew long. A forest had finally popped up around them, almost suddenly, and they began to hear the first whispers of creeks running through the woods. Vazo noted that, even here, you could see the signs of the drought everywhere. The leaves of the trees were a dull colour, some were dead, and the road was still dusty. The trickling water they sometimes heard was probably, in better times, creeks and streams you could drink from. Now they were likely too muddy or too low to be helpful. Corey sniffed at the air, and his brow furled. Do you smell that? Vaslo didn't smell anything. The forest? Corey shook his head. Fire. Or smoke and ash, at least. As they rode on, the master dealers did indeed begin to catch the faint smell of smoke in the air. Do you want to leave the wagon and ride ahead a little? Corney shook his head. I wouldn't want to risk leaving the wagon alone. 
If it's bandits or a trap of some kind, I'd rather be here to protect it. Not all of us have gold shoe rings tucked away throughout the realm, I remind you. This wagon is everything to me. All right, then. Father nodded and rested his right hand on the hilt of Dreamender as they rolled down the road, and late afternoon began turning to early evening. They soon found the source of the scent. One of the outlying villages that surround Ashgarden lay before them in ruin. Whatever fire had caused it, it had done its job and then vanished. Some two-story buildings a little further down the road appeared to be standing, more or less intact, but clearly abandoned. The nearby trees had black scarring at their base where flames had licked at them, and most of the grass was gone or blackened. Some smaller structures, either merchant stands or else simple homes, were burnt out completely. A fire, Corey said quietly. You think? Vaslo grunted, and climbed down off the wagon, his hand still secure on his sword's hilt. Corey followed suit. Was this... No. Was this Bear's Ford? Vaslo squinted a little to look further down the road, where, on the other end of the village, he could see a stone overpass that crossed a creek. Been a long time since I came through here. But yes, I think it might be. Or was. What the hell happened? Corey cautiously walked up to the first burnt structure nearest him. It was what remained of a merchant stand. It's been looted, he noted, pushing his shoe through some of the ash and splinters, and seeing that there were no wares or shill left in the mess. Vaslo kicked the loosely bound remains of a wooden corner over with his foot to get a better look at it. I would think so, times being what they are. What caused this? I mean a fire, obviously, but why? The drought? Did it start in the forest, perhaps? The merchant asked. Come look at this, Vaslo offered by way of an answer. When Corey was next to him, he lifted one of the charred pieces and pointed at deep nicks in the wood. An axe did that. No reason to take an axe to a burning shed. He pointed nearby to a blackened door, splintered into pieces in the middle, but still secure at the bottom and top. An axe did that too, and probably more than one. They made their way over to the door, and as they did, a stench reached them. Corey covered his nose. I have a feeling about what we'll find inside. Without commenting, Vaslo pushed the door open, and it fell backwards off its hinges. Most of the back of the house had burned away, and more than half of the roof had collapsed. After searching with his eyes for a moment, he saw the charred remains of a leg sticking out from under a pile of wood. He walked over and placed his hands firmly beneath one of the larger pieces. Help me with this. Do we really have to, Vaslo? I mean, whoever it is. They're dead, the merchant said sadly. I'd like to know how. Why? Just help me, damn it. Relenting, Corey squinted his eyes and looked away, but came up next to Vaslo all the same and joined him in lifting part of the pile up and away. As soon as they did, a small swarm of flies took off, and the stench multiplied. By the proofs, Corey said, stepping away and covering his mouth. Vaslo didn't seem bothered. He pushed at the half-charred, half-rotted corpse with his boot to chase the rest of the flies off it. A knife did this one. Either a bunch of knives a few times, or one knife a whole lot of times. The fire got her afterwards. So what are you saying? Corey asked, half-stepping outside to try and breathe. Vosla walked out with him, back to the road. I'm saying these people were killed, and then the village was burned. Not the other way around. Do you think that's what happened at Ravenkeep? I remember back at the inn at East Cross, that old man mentioned that Ravenkeep burned to the ground. Corey kept his nose covered as he continued to look around at the destruction. 
Vosler worked his jaw a little and scratched at his chin. Hard to say. The way he told it then, it sounded like the free folk of Rerin keep just burned the place down as a message to their local lord, then left to find new homes elsewhere. He didn't mention murder. Might not have known, Corey suggested. Aye, might not have known. Still, this feels different from the type of riots I've got news of. Do you think? Could it have been a particularly gutsy band of thieves? I haven't seen a single thing of value so far, Corey noted. Vaslo shook his head. Axes, knives, these are things that are just laying around in a village like this. Unless I see some sign of swords and spears, I'd say this is free folk fighting other free folk. Those houses look hardly touched, Corey said, pointing down the road at a small cluster towards one side. Vaslo didn't say anything, but started walking down the street. He drew his sword, and Corey came up beside him, his small dirk in one hand. They turned off the main way, carefully stepping between the ruins of homes, staying alert in case anyone was still there. In a few minutes, they came upon the cluster of standing houses. What do you think that means? Corey asked. On the door of the house closest to them, notably untouched by fire or axe, was a strange marking. It was drawn in chalk, and from top to bottom was perhaps half the size of the oaken door it was drawn on. Two curves were drawn in thick white chalk, mirroring each other, and together almost seemed to trace out the shape of a heart. Towards the top, a star was drawn in red ochre. Below and at either side of the star were two slanting marks, almost like eyes. A white head with a red spot? Vazla said, clearly uncertain. Corey just stared at it a moment. Or, or the outline of a lion's head, with something red on its forehead, you see. He walked up to the door and traced the white lines. These could be a mane, and these two white slashes here. He traced them as well. Those could be eyes. Then what's the red star? The duelist questioned. Corey let out a sigh. I have no idea. Vaslo kept his sword out by his side, and walking up to the door himself, gave it a few loud hammers. Hello? Is anyone inside? Then he turned to face the other houses as well. Is anyone here at all? Nothing. Not even wind. Just the smell of burnt wood, the occasional sound from Corey's horses at the other end of the village, and, somewhere, the trickle of a stream. Vaslo sheathed his sword and pointed to one of the other houses. Same design on that door, too, he said. And that one over there, Corey noticed. So anything with that lion's head drawn on it wasn't a target. I guess that means everything else was, the master duelist suggested. When they looked around them, that certainly seemed the case. Only this handful of structures were still standing, and virtually untouched. Even so, they most definitely seemed abandoned. Why do you think they left? Corey asked. Well, this was hardly legal. Vaslo answered. They made their point, whatever it was, and then moved on to another village. Maybe that's what they do. The new religion. Corey turned the words over in his mouth with a sour taste. The man they call the lion might be dangerous after all, then. Hard to say, Vaslo reckoned. About as many bad things done in the name of good people as bad ones. I doubt the fellow was here himself. This was done by zealots, more than likely. The poisons of religion, Corey said somberly. I'll remind you that the poisons of rationality cause the purge. Poison is poison, and strong wine kills more men than arsenic. Vaslo began walking down the road 
towards the horses. Come on. It's safe to say we won't be sleeping in a tavern here tonight. Doubt we'll be sleeping in a tavern anywhere tonight, Corey said as he pulled himself up onto the rider's bench. We'll get some distance between us and this wretched place before it becomes dark. Then we'll find a spot to rest. Vazda looked west to the reddening sun. You don't think we'll reach another of the villages first? The merchant shook his head. Not without backtracking. Down this particular byway to Ashgarden, Bearsford was really the only town. With the stops we've already made, we wouldn't reach Ashgarden until well after sundown. I'd rather not be travelling at night, especially with whoever did this possibly still around somewhere. Fair enough, Vazdo agreed, and with a flick of the reins. And with a flick of the reins, the cart resumed its monotonous journey through the burnt village and then beyond it, into the ever-thicker forest of the Riverlands. <laughs>